This podcast and its contents are not endorsed or sponsored by CBS Studios Incorporated or The Good Fight. Everything in Maya's life has been leading to this moment. She's on trial to determine her involvement in her father's fraudulent business practices. Her father has betrayed her. Her girlfriend has betrayed her. Even her former tennis coach has betrayed her. This has been the fight of her life. Why are you slipping us information? Why? Yeah. Gather your legal briefs and get ready for a brawl. This is The Good Fight SBS Fan Podcast, our weekly discussion about the TV drama The Good Fight. It's our deeper dive into the show with an exploration of the real-world stories that influence the show. My name is Dan Barrett. I'm one of the editors here at SBS. I work on a TV site called The Guide. Now joining me every week is SBS Life Deputy Editor, Sarah Malik. Hi, everyone. Sarah, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Now, this is our second episode of The Good Fight Club, mm-hmm. okay, which I'm very excited for each week too. Mm-hmm. We haven't been fired yet. Yes. Oh, that's fantastic. That's a win for me. (laughs) (laughs) It's a win for all of us. Now, we got a lot of really positive commentary from the first episode. I got a couple of emails from people and a few tweets. Oh, wow. Wonderful. It was all very good. Uh, If people do want to get in contact with us, uh, talk on your social media with the hashtag GoodFightSBS. Wonderful. Good to see that we've got all the Good Fight obsessives together. You know, we're magnetizing them to us so we can continue the conversation online. Look, Absolutely. This week's show, it's going to be redundant me saying this, Mm -hmm. but I really did like this episode. Yeah. I like the way that this didn't really necessarily feel like it was a brand new storyline kicking off, Mm -hmm. but rather one of the things that I was a little bit concerned with going into this season is that we'd see a lot of the Maya storyline continuing on for the bulk Mm -hmm. of the season. Mm -hmm. And last week's episode where there was so much focus on it and then I knew this week was going to go even deeper in, I was concerned it's going to be another season long arc because I kind of feel that the storyline has served its purpose for the show. Yeah, I 100% agree. And it will be interesting to see how it plays out and if, if it's kind of run its course. But there's a lot of little loose ends that kind of tied up, like when we were discussing the girlfriend relationship and it hinted at what's up with that, you know, where where are they at and the tensions between the two and how that would play out. And I think that everything has been done deliberately in the show. So that's been interesting to see how that's played out in terms of her coming out on the stand and testifying against Maya, you know, which which was really heartbreaking. And, and the vulnerability that you saw in Maya at, on trial, I, you couldn't help feeling sympathetic to that. Yeah, there's a really interesting thing that I found from The Good Wife that mm. – I guess because there's still so few episodes of The Good Fight, we're not going to see if this is really going to be a continuing trend. Mm. But I guess we'll probably get that from this storyline. Uh, routinely, that sort of introduced sort of 10, 12 episode arcs. And then the storyline would just sort of finish and it never really gets spoken of again. Mm. Sometimes characters might get brought in for new storylines later. But they really do tend to really uh, segment the series into very specific arcs. And they kind of end usually more with a whimper than a bang. Yeah, I know. Because we've been so invested in this. And is it over now? Like, has (laughs) she worked with the feds to rat out her her dad? And and is that all done? You know, is there no more twists and turns in this saga? Yeah, well, I mean, I presume that most of the loose ends are really tied up pretty heavily in that the father's been arrested now. So Mm. I can't see her being that heavily involved in a trial for him, particularly Mm. considering that he had signed an agreement already. So I presume that there won't be a trial. Yeah. I presume that he'll end up just serving whatever the agreement was that he'd signed. 
the mother is going to be in prison for a while. Yeah. Uh, the girlfriend is probably the one loose end where I presume that she'll be a regular character. Whether she'll still be in a relationship with her or not, that's probably the question at this point I have. Yeah. I mean, so the mum's sacrifice was for nothing then? Like she will have to continue her sentence? Well, I don't know. I presume so, but... I thought that she might have made a deal that protects both her and her mum in order to get her dad. I, I, I wasn't sure. Entirely possible. And I mean, the mother had struck the deal with the uh, prosecution... But I don't know whether or not that holds water or not. Yeah. Oh, my God. And the dad running off with the tennis coach. (laughs) Oh, my God. I was just like, oh, what a love rat. Like, I couldn't even believe that and how she kind of needled that out. You know, she's been very savvy in protecting her her interests. And I don't know, I really feel for her. What I like about this storyline is the emotional range and depth and complexity of exploring the family relationships. I think that's been the crux for me that's been really interesting in this whole storyline. The uncle and how she thinks she's trusting her parents and their own complicated relationship and how Maya just kind of sinks into this whole of of complex family dynamics that, you know, she really struggles to deal with emotionally. That's something that I think was really powerful and and really interesting in this storyline. Yeah, and one of the things that I'm sort of grappling with after looking at the episode as a whole is I kind of wish that I'd done a little bit more with the tennis coach. Like, I don't really understand what it was about the relationship she was getting out of it. Mm. I don't understand where she's at in life to suddenly be willing to, you know, go on the lam with uh, Mr. Rindell. But also I do, like, ask myself, like, is it really important? Do we need to really know those answers? And yeah. probably not. I just kind of, I'm just curious about her. But also it doesn't really affect anything in the greatest Yeah, and it's, it's not unusual. It's, like, it's, it's a little bit shocking, but considering the dad's dodgy practices, it just adds one more bow to his dodginess. It comes as a surprise and a shock, you know, how did it play out? But, you know, the mom's having an affair. Makes sense that he would be having an affair. But it's, yeah, it's very messy. Yeah, and it's interesting you talk about this being one more layer to his dodginess, mm. which if you look at the father, like you have to wonder what sort of man betrays his daughter in the way that he has. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, he's off gallivanting around with a tennis coach. Like it all just kind of feels a bit of a piece. But it's weird. It's like a chess game. You know, this why this is why it's so interesting. And I think Maya's so confused because even though she recognizes even though she recognizes the failings of her parents, like there are moments of kindness or compassion or moments where they do, you know, offer protection or preservation for her, but then also are all about themselves again. So it's so confusing. I think it would be easier for Maya if there were just these horrible people who threw her under the bus, but because they don't completely and she has these Mm. complex ties, I think that's what makes it really interesting. And I love how the show kind of explores that because you go through the emotions with her too you know like oh they're okay and of course I love them and then oh man how could they do that and what the hell and that's so dodgy so I think that that's what makes it really interesting the the complexity and the layers of that and the fact that it doesn't feel like the good and bad labels are that easily defined oh look absolutely now, one of the, I guess, side effects of the sort of storyline that Maya's involved in mm. is that we haven't really had the opportunity because she's been on the run from her problems and being sort of thrown deeper into her problems and just really been sort of swimming to try to survive. Yeah. But the result of that is we don't really know too much about who she is and really mm. what her mindset is. We don't know much about her as a character. Yeah. So I'm hoping now that the storylines are resolved, we actually get to play around with her character a little bit more and she starts to exhibit some real world, like some general characteristics. Yeah. I hope 
hope that she'll come into her own. Like I think we've just seen her as this young woman who is struggling to assert herself and struggling to make her mark and has this huge kind of cloud behind her of her family. And and look, I think also the prosecution made a really good case because if you do listen to their case, you think, oh, why should we have sympathy for this poor little rich girl? You know, like she had it really good. So, I mean, there's all that too, you know, like our sympathy does stretch at some point with her. Now, we were talking before we started recording the podcast <laughs> and you're totally on Team Colin with the prosecution on this. I am. I am so, like, look, I like him. I think he's a good guy. I don't think he's made a step wrong. Yeah, um, but, but you're, like, anti-Maya. You would, like, lock her up. No, look, I'm not <laughs> anti-Maya. Like, I just... I don't know. Maybe this is my class chip on my shoulder or something, okay? <laughs> like, we all have problems, okay? Like, she had, like, $300,000 a year with, like, jewels and holidays and apartment being paid off. And, and they showed that in the first series, too, where she was the favourite at the firm because she had all these connections, which then paradoxically worked against her. So there is pressure when you come from, from money and you come from high expectations, but... Look, other people have other problems as well. That's all I'm saying. No, absolutely. I can't even imagine what I'd spend $300,000 a year I know, on. right? I, mean, I struggle wow. with my $200,000 to spend all of it every year. <laughs> that would be enough. That would be enough. Yeah. Yeah, Just, but I think it is. it does reaffirm that at the end of the day, the crucial things in life are our relationships and our people having your back and um, that support. And it's sad to see that kind of taken from under her with her girlfriend who you think is like the one source of of stability in her life but her colleagues really come through for her and that's that's really heartening to see okay really quickly i just want to talk about diane and liz Mm, interesting relationship okay so you and i were talking about this uh before we started recording as well Mm -hmm. and you were kind of struck a little bit in that last week we saw that diane was sort of flailing a little bit in life and a Mm. bit directionless and was trying to find some level of meaning yeah Okay. I mean, I was kind of joking about it in the last podcast when I talked about Diane getting trippy and joking about <laughs> it. But looking at this episode now, it kind of has a bit more of darker undertones because, you know, I think Diane is struggling with depression or coming to terms with the challenges of the last season. And I, I was telling you this before, Dan, you know, I've become a late convert to The Good Wife. Um, so That's it. So between last week and this week, you've been watching a whole lot of Good Wife. Yes. Yes, I have. And it just gives a lot of the characters a new dimension, especially Diane. I think that it really gives her character a new dimension. The The first season kind of plays with it a bit about how, you know, how powerful she is, how much she's at the top of her game. But I get to know her character a lot more in The Good Wife. And she's a gun. Like, like she's really the best. She's someone who, you know, is up for, for judgeships and she's full of authority and she runs fir- she runs the firm. And, yeah, to see her treated in that way at the end of what should be a brilliant career and how she navigates that with such strategy and such skill and such hustle, I think now what we're seeing in the second season is her really letting herself feel the emotional depth and pain of being back in the workforce when you thought that you wouldn't be, you know, and, and her kind of barroom chat with Liz. and Well, see, I want to talk about that. Yeah. So- The big sort of takeaway from it was a lot of the relationships that were developed there and particularly the female friendships that were developed between Alicia and other cast members. Mm. So for the first few seasons, it's Alicia and Kalinda and the two of them have a very sort of genial relationship. And a lot of it was based with the two of them meeting up after work for drinks. Yeah. So you had that. And then when they phase Kalinda out of the program, 
Uh, there was the introduction of Luca Quinn, who's now in The Good Fight. Mm. And the two of them would regularly meet up for a wine after work. And like yeah. that's the female friendship that was kind of at the core of the series towards the end. Yeah. In this series, because you've got three characters, well, the three main characters, so you've got Maya, Luca, and Diane, and they're all at different stages in life, and they're yeah. not really, there's no real crossover for them to they strike don't up friendship. Yeah. They don't. So the series, I think, has been missing that core female friendship. Mm. And it's fascinating yes. seeing the way they've introduced Liz into the show. Yes. Where I saw Liz as maybe sort of hanging out with Luca a little bit more. Yes. But I guess that's really just an age thing where she's actually in a position in her career and life where Diane would be the person that she gravitates towards. Yeah. And, the, and they kind of have that older woman friendship in that they're not reminiscing about they're not thinking about the future. They're reminiscing about the past. Mm. So they are, you know, talking about Will Gardner and what a great lawyer he was. Will Gardner and, being a character from yeah, The Good Wife. Yeah, Will Gardner being a character from The Good Wife. And Liz is reflecting on, you know, um, her 10 years at, as a prosecutor and how she gave everything to that job and suddenly everything was, was slid under her when she was fired for her tweet. And so I think that they, as two women who are highly accomplished, they were really having this moment of bonding, um, reflecting on, on their careers and, and the ups and downs downs that come with that and how much it takes out of you as well, you know, personally. So I think that was really interesting. But, okay, I'm going to say this. I was really shocked when Liz kind of shared their drinks confidences with Adrian. I thought, is she, is that dodgy? Is she under the guise of concern kind of doing something a bit dodgy, you know, in terms of telling him that Diane is, is over it? I don't think she is. I think this is actually her way of trying to help out Diane to an extent and try to stimulate the, I guess, uh, regaining of her power base for Diane. Really? I thought she's trying to edge her out by, by, by finding out this secret information that Diane might be wanting to retire. Like, oh, of course she wants to retire, but she has to work. So I don't know. I felt really uncomfortable with that. With no, her. no, no. I think it's more just that she wants to keep Diane in the fold and she knows that the relationship that she's had with Adrian is certainly very cordial, but I don't think that... Liz would have an assumption that Adrian is maybe not necessarily looking for a new partner at this stage. Right. Okay. Because obviously we saw Barbara Colstad leave at the end of last week's episode. Mm. And I think this is really just her way of ensuring that Diane sticks around because by suggesting that she becomes partner, uh, essentially it means that she probably will become the part, uh, like uh, the new partner. Okay. So it's well, main partner probably as well. Okay. So it's tactical to keep her new friend around. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. Look, I, maybe I misunderstood that. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I just. It could work out in another direction, mm. but that's how I read the scene. Right. So she's trying to keep her in the fold by saying, we've got to pay attention to her, make sure that she's she's happy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Dark night of the soul. It was very, it was very <laughs> intense stuff. It was very like bearing all. And that vulnerability from Diane, I haven't seen in The Good Wife or in season one. So that was really interesting. Uh, there's a couple of things I really just quickly want to take off from the episode. Uh, we've seen another murdered lawyer on the show. So Dan Oxenbold is mm -hmm. this week's victim. Again, we're hearing that phrase, kill all lawyers. Mm. And look, we've all had problems with lawyers before. <laughs> oh, God, Dan. I don't, I don't even want to like, <laughs> I don't even want to share my secret history here now. Um, okay, come on. Uh, you want, come okay. on. Look, I have a law degree, but I never practiced. <laughs> okay. I've learned, so I, I am one of them. I'm learning so much about Sarah through doing this podcast. It's great. <laughs> I was also born in Chicago, which Dan was like, wow, you are made for this podcast. So Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I 
so we've seen the murder of Dan Oxenbold, which has uh, Diane feeling a little bit more on edge. And I'm wondering if we're going to see this as a greater theme throughout the episode or if this is just a bit of a, I don't want to use the phrase cutesy, but just a bit of a um, writerly thing that the king's throwing into the show at this point. I'm not too sure. So we'll see how that flies in the next few episodes. Really fascinating at the beginning of this episode uh, is where they open up the 22nd floor where they've now added a second floor onto the law firm. Mm. Now, this is a throwback to what they used to do in The Good Wife, where essentially by having an additional floor, it means that your business is growing and you're getting more staff. And the ongoing joke in The Good Fight was always they'd get the second floor, but then I'd have to contract the business and I'd lose the other floor and you know, eventually they'd come back with that dream of getting the floor back. So here we're seeing the very sort of beginning of a very similar uh, approach to the way they're talking about the size and scale of this law firm. So I thought that was kind of fun to see. Luca gets a new office. Hooray. She got a new office. I didn't understand why it was a negative that she had the office she did. Mm, Neither did I. I didn't completely get that. I mean, Julius was like, oh, you're right across from mine. And they seemed apologetic about it, but it seemed like a good office. So I I don't understand. Look, it's better than my cubicle. I know, better than hot desking. You get your own office, like that's with glass windows. So, yeah. And the final thing that I really liked was seeing the return of Judge Abernathy. I love Judge Abernathy. I just love him. And now I know about him more because of watching The Good Wife. He is, and I love how they send up stereotypes on both sides of the political spectrum. I thought, I think that's really clever what the show does with that. And oh, he's so funny. Yeah, the extreme left (laughs) political views. and he makes them shake hands with each other like that is classic you know when he makes he makes them look look each other in the eye and, and tell each other that they, they like and respect each other so and knowing that the characters back history their relationship in light of that it even makes it more hilarious so I, I love that uh, there are couple of great sort of things with Abernathy. So first of all, there was the great line about Ivanka and Jared. Yes. Ooh, yeah, I know. It gets very political. Your Honor, I share your concern about our president and especially about the nepotism of Ivanka and Jared. Mm. It's upsetting how they get around the usual rules regarding nepotism. That's why I move that Reddick Bozeman be excluded from representing Maya Rindell. What? All right. And then right at the end where they appealed to Abernathy's sense of justice, where she ends up bringing out information about the foundation that he himself sits on. And I thought that was just a really clever way to drill home the point. Yeah. And I think that what it also shows is that everything in life is mediated through people who are mediated through their own biases, you know? And I think that was really interesting. Every decision, every workplace, every dynamic and yeah I like how they're being really open with that Um, I thought that was really funny so this week on the show there wasn't really a whole lot of things that we can drill too deep into there was two things that I thought were maybe worth discussing first of all I just wanted to carry on from a conversation we had in last week's podcast Mm. where we were talking about the manipulation of audio to create Mm. a false perception of conversations that have happened but they don't really have to have happened Mm -hmm. because you can now doctor that audio and something which I've actually heard about a lot in the week that followed us doing it is deep fakes. Like, mm. have you heard of a deep fake before? No, I have no idea what that is. So this is effectively the video version of what we're talking about with the audio construction, where effectively deep fakes started as a thing that was happening on Reddit. Mm. And it was an algorithm that someone had developed for video production. And what he was doing was taking the faces of uh, famous people and layering them over the top of well-known porn stars and porn videos. Mm. So there'd be pornographic video and instead of whomever the actor or actress might be in it, uh, it might be, say, Julia Roberts. Okay, just to pull out the first actor name that came to mind. Okay, so essentially what it's doing is 
Um, in Australia, we've got this political TV show on Sunday mornings called Insiders. Mm. Okay, and the guy who uh, creates these videos for it, Hugh Parkinson, essentially what he does is he kind of just sort of layers like these faces over the top of famous movies, and it looks very cartoonish and not really quite real. Okay, and initially I thought the deep fakes were working in a very similar way to that, mm. but that's not the case at all. It's actually really taking the various sort of points in their face and layering it properly over the face of the actor in these videos. And for all intents and purposes, it looks exactly like that person because the algorithm is really quite good. Mm. So what's happened as a result is uh, he made the algorithm available for free on Reddit. So other people now have access to it. And what's happening is people aren't necessarily just doing sort of porn videos, but rather they're taking, say, a scene from Casablanca and taking Nicholas Cage's face and putting it over the top of like Bogart. Like they're just really playing around and it's just part of remix culture to a certain degree, mm. but a really sophisticated version of it. And you can sort of look at it and say, well, you know, in the case of like, say, manipulating old classic movies, putting Nicolas Cage into it, mm. that's just a bit of fun. Yeah. Copyright infringing, but just generally a bit of fun. <laughs> bit of copyright infringing fun. Yeah. And so like, that's kind of fine. Like you can sort of, you know, see what the fun of that is. But if you start thinking about some of the like really just insidious ways that you can mm. use that technology, yes. there are some terrible things that can happen. Uh, so, it's so scary. Keeping our mic framework, maybe in just pornography for a moment, like mm. we've heard about revenge porn. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Like what's yep. to stop you from taking the photo of your girlfriend or boyfriend that's broken up with you and laying it over the top of a video and humiliating them with something yep. that they've never really done? Yeah. It's so scary. I'm so glad that I didn't grow up in the internet <laughs> age. Oh God, now I sound like a real dinosaur. Well, okay. You're an old lady. No, uh, yeah, I'm like 60. No, but as in like, I feel really scared for teenagers today because I feel like everything is so documented. There is so much ways in which information can be manipulated. People's images and video can be manipulated. And if you don't have the foresight to really think about how what you disseminate is going to be used or how maybe you're in a relation, first relationship and that a lot of the pictures or videos that you send can well, be I mean, can be doctored. And that's kind of, we've seen that a lot play out in cases, but I think it's going to become even more more of a problem. And, and you know, that stuff sticks around for life. It follows you around for life. And it's really scary, especially for young women, I think. But see, this is kind of the insidious nature of deep fakes mm. where it's not even just that, you know, you've been sexting with your partner and then like photos or videos gotten out. Rather, this is like entirely new work being created with your face and identity that's being attached to it. Yeah. So it's not even something you can really control. No. I mean, outside of never sharing a photo of your face with anyone, yeah. like you're just kind of at mercy of what happens. So that's kind of really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you also think about like the fake news implications of yes, it. Yes. Yes. Because, you know, a lot of times journalists verify things through seeing footage or seeing like primary audio or primary pictures or primary video that reflects the scene that's happening that they can write a report on. But if you can't even confirm the veracity of that, I think that really opens up the field to so much misinformation. Oh, look, absolutely. And I think it's going to become increasingly important for organisations like here at SBS. To double check. Well, not even to double check, but really to educate journalists to understand mm -hmm. what it is that they're looking for. Yep. Because it's going to be really imperative that if you are an everyday citizen wanting to really make sure that the news and information that you're taking on is accurate, mm -hmm. okay, you're going to be looking for organisations that have a reputable body behind them. Yes. So the people would look to something like SBS, where I think that we've got a very strong reputation. But if our journalists don't really understand the difference between a deep fake and a real video 
like that's hugely problematic. So it's going to become really important for organizations like ours mm -hmm. to have that knowledge, to have that understanding as to how this technology works and yeah. what to look for. The yeah. signifiers that suggest, no, this is a fake video against a real one. Mm -hmm. And the ability to be able to go and find, I guess, the real original video sources yes. against what's being disseminated. Yes. It's incredibly complex. And honestly, I don't even quite know if organizations are going to be able to meet that as a challenge. Yeah, because you need resources and you need time and you need skill and you need to kind of get away from the journalism, you know, like being yeah. able to mash up things from other places or this tendency where things go viral and everyone reports on the same thing because it's so well widely reported and so everyone assumes it's true. So it requires a lot more effort to really confirm the veracity of things and, and that's something which I think needs to be done more and more so that people can trust the information that not only they've been given but they're entrusted to, to give to others. Yeah. Now you use the phrase then journalism, yeah. which is a phrase that you and I would use quite often around the workplace. But for those unfamiliar with the term? Um, I guess like this tendency for things to go viral and everyone's using something that they've seen somebody somewhere else without really investigating it as a originally or firsthand. Yeah. And it's hard to really know what's what because journalism is really about having to get through news stories really quickly because mm. there's so much news and information that needs to be disseminated mm. and newsroom don't have the resources that you It's used not to. always possible. Yeah, yeah. It's not always possible. The other thing that's taking place in this episode is the idea of being fired for a tweet. Now, Liz Lawrence, we found out last week, and she talks about it again this week, fired from her job because she sends an anti-Trump tweet out, okay, which for those that followed her and agreed with her, you know, it was, uh, you know, stick it to the power. But essentially, the Trump government, not necessarily so keen on seeing the sort of anti-Trump sentiment coming from a public prosecutor. Mm -hmm. And so she lost her job. Mm -hmm. Now, it wasn't anything they could overtly come out and say, you're losing your job because of this tweet. Yeah. But that's why she lost her job. Yeah. So it was kind of interesting looking a little bit deeper at the idea of, can you really lose your job over a tweet? Yeah. Which you totally can. You totally can. Um, and this blurring between the personal and the private, because, you know, it is public. It's a public domain. So... Oh, God, now I'm thinking back. I'm like, what the hell am I writing? <laughs> um, no, it is interesting. And I think it's something that's come up more and more in our uh, modern landscape. So there are a number of stories out there of people who've been fired for sending tweets. Mm -hmm. And if you search the phrase on Google, fired because of a tweet, you will find so many people that have been uh, have lost their jobs because of social media. Yeah. Maybe the most famous one, though, is this lady that I probably don't really need to talk about too deeply because I think a lot of people already know the story. Mm. Uh, it's a lady named Justine Sacco. And she had sent a tweet just before she got on a plane. And I'm pretty sure it was a work-related trip. And she said, going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding, I'm white. Oh, jeez. Terribly racist tweet. Mm. So she ends up tweeting this out, um, gets on a plane, and she's obviously on a plane, so there's no social media access mm. for, you know, the, I think, you know, the hours that she was up in the air for. She ends up landing to find that her tweet had gone massively viral and she lost her job yeah. pretty subsequently after that. Which, I mean, um, this is this is the danger where if you send, first of all, a tweet like that, where mm. I'm pretty sure she's come back saying, look, it was supposed to be satirical. I didn't really intend any offense in it. But even so, like, it's still, there's yeah, a perception like every, and a stink attached to it. Every brain fart, every casual thing that you could make, a, a remark that you could make to a friend, you know, those kinds of things are becoming more public, mm. um, like the casualness of them. And I think that people don't realize the implications that that can have. So I think that we do live in a world where, where those normal filters and the mediation between the public and private is not as 
formal anymore. And that can be really positive in some ways in that you kind of have an unfiltered view of a lot of high profile people's opinions and views and, and, and takes on things. And, and that can actually be refreshing because you don't get all, a lot of the media spin and PR around it. But it also can be dangerous as well, because I think we, we sometimes do get into outrage mode about things which people perhaps even immediately regret. And it's not something that's a well thought out view. And it's something that maybe doesn't even reflect the totality of what they are trying to say either. So I think we do live in a, in a kind of a dangerous world of um, half-baked kind of opinions and tweets and things like that that can just really have a life of their own. Oh, yeah. look, completely. And what I really like about the approach of Liz Lawrence in the show is that, yes, she lost her job because of it, but she's also not sorry that she sent the tweets. No, you know, it does have implications for free speech too. So I think... Yeah. To me, that speaks of a character of whom is really just sort of um, standing by her guns and believes very much in what she says and what she presents to the world. 100%. Yeah. yeah, and I think there has to be that room for um, people having the freedom to be able to express themselves as well. So I don't know, it's, it's a tricky balance. Yeah, now this brings us to the end of another episode. Uh, I just wanted to advise The Good Fight. It airs on SBS here every Wednesday night in Australia, 9.40pm. Uh, you can stream episodes after they've aired at SBS On Demand. Sarah, you're on Twitter. Where do people find you? I am. I'm on at Sarah B. Malik. So if you have any thoughts, ideas, questions, comments, hit me up and we can continue the conversation online. And that's Sarah B. Malik, B for Boransky. B, B. Look, uh, I don't have tickets on myself. The only reason I add the middle initial is because my name is like the Pakistani version of John Smith. There are a lot <laughs> of Sarah Malik, so... I need to add the initial just to have the unique handle. Absolutely. Um, that is the reason for it. <laughs> uh, you can find me at the Dan Barrett. Mm -hmm. And because there's a lot of Dan Barrett's and one guy already has at Dan Barrett. You are the Dan Barrett. But you can find me at the Dan Barrett. One and only. Exactly. <laughs> if you're on the Twitters, make sure you use the hashtag. Good fight, Did you SBS. say Twitters, Dan? I did say Twitters. Oh, no. That's, that shows that we're like. If you're on the internet and you're using the Twitters, <laughs> use the hashtag. The good fight, SBS. Mm. We'll be back next week. All right. We'll see you then. Catch you then. Bye. Keep fighting the good fight. <laughs> <laughs>